Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Tara Bates-DeFord. And Dr. Bates-DeFord has engaged in extensive work and research in familial relationships, family trauma, and dysfunctions. She's known for her work with traumatic experience and symptom reemergence. With nearly 20 years in the field of behavioral sciences, she's been instrumental in her work with stabilizing families, helping individuals and families navigate the challenges of mental illness, as well as victims of abuse, trauma, reprocess the memory of trauma in a manner that no longer paralyzes nor interferes with daily functioning. She's an accomplished author of children's books covering topics such as conduct disorder, ADHD, parenting a child with special needs, trauma, and so much more. I'm really excited to introduce you to Dr. Tara. In her work, she's seen betrayals from parents, siblings, couples, friends, and more. Dr. Tara will be sharing some of her stories along with an activity I found really interesting to help face a betrayal and to understand it in order to heal. She's a relationship expert, and I just can't wait to introduce you to her. I am so excited to have Dr. Tara Bates-Duford with us today. She is a relationship expert and just does incredible work with helping couples heal, uh, parent-child relationships, sibling relationships, and so much more. Welcome, Dr. Tara. We're just so excited to have you today. Thank you. So you've done so much work with couples and and just all types of relationships as it relates to betrayal. Can you share a few uh, just maybe experiences or, or partnerships or something that really resonated? How did they come in? And by the time you were done with them, how did they leave? Usually for my couples, they come in at the breaking point when it's almost, um, the relationship is almost irretrievable. And that's, that's true of a lot of couples. Um, they try to manage on their own, but then they find that they can't. With the couples, it's a lot of infidelity. It doesn't have to be sexual. It can be emotional. So um, with the couples, I see that. With the family, I see um, betrayal in the form of not reciprocating or respecting others, not putting yourself out there. For example, um, in a family, one member may be going through financial and emotional crisis and you see that family member that kind of step in and help and really kind of support them through it. But when they're going through something, that family member is nowhere to be found. So the anticipation is family supports family, but when the tables are turned, it just doesn't seem like it works out right. So, so I get both families. Mm-hmm. Right. So then when they come in, what are they, what are they looking for? They're looking to have the other person understand that they weren't there for them or are they coming in alone? Are they coming in together? What do you normally see? They're usually coming in alone and they're coming in because of anger and resentment. So when they come in, a lot of times they don't recognize fully the familial role that played in them coming into therapy. They're coming in because they're grappling with resentment, anger, and they're self-isolating. So when we're talking in therapy, they really feel abandoned and betrayed. Mm -hmm. So we get to the cusp of that and them understanding, hey, sometimes you have to love people from afar. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to understand that I could put myself in his or her shoes, but it's not guaranteed that the other person is going to do that for me. And that's so hard because we, 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 I guess we expect people to act 
the same way we do. And if we would do something for someone, I guess we just assume that others are doing the same and we're, we're shocked and uh, are met with the reality that that's definitely not the case. Absolutely, because you wouldn't know it unless you're betrayed. Mm-hmm. You assume that it's going to be reciprocal. When you're going out of your way to help someone, especially a family member, you think that family's tighter than anything else. But when you go through a crisis, that's usually the only time you'll see that the process isn't reciprocated. Right. And is there a story that comes to mind or just someone you can think of where that really, something like that recently mm-hmm. happened? And how did you work with them? What 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 was the process? There was a, a family I work with, and the one of the family members were going through financial crises um, in the process of losing our home. So this family member kind of, you know, stepped in, really put themselves in financial straits to help out. I mean, really going above and beyond buying groceries, coming over to take and ease some of the burden. Later on, years later, this individual's husband died. Mm-hmm. So the tables were actually turned. So she reached out to that same family member that she had expended all of this energy, financial support, moral support. And the family member told her to quote unquote, put on her big girl panties and handle it on her own. This individual wound up getting um, evicted, having to go through the shelter system and really thinking about how she put herself in a situation where she was really financially stunted by helping the family member and it wasn't reciprocated. So she grappled with seeing the signs. Why couldn't I see that this person didn't value our family the way I did? Why couldn't I understand that she wouldn't return the favor or see how much I needed it or see how much pain I'm in. So she kept struggling with what she didn't see rather than understanding that some people will just not put them out there themselves out there for you. Yeah. And how did she manage the anger? She managed the anger. We do a lot of um, workbook activity, homework, mm-hmm. because I find that People seeing it on themselves, clients seeing it for themselves helps. We did a lot of confrontation in the mirror, Mm -hmm. which we have a tendency to hide self from self. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of confrontation in the mirror. She would confront herself on her own discrepancies and look for the verbal and behavioral changes that kind of took place when she did the confrontation and took notes. And, you know, it's so interesting you say that because I have so many clients who come in and, and they have a really hard time looking at themselves in the mirror, just even to get to that point where they can is challenging. Absolutely. And the first time I told her to take notes of when she averted her eyes away from herself. And she found that during the difficult conversation she was having with herself, she would look over and to the left downward. Mm-hmm. And she found that she couldn't even meet herself in the eye because she knew what she was saying wasn't entirely true. She was trying to convince herself that this person wanted to help, but couldn't help. Oh, wow. So it's, a, it's really a way of digging deep and getting to the truth, looking into your own eyes. Absolutely. Wow, that's beautiful. So then what happened? How did she resolve it? How did she, what, what, she what resolved it by a lot of homework and recognizing that sometimes you give money and give help away without the expectation that it's going to be reciprocated. She needed to understand that certain people will never put themselves in your shoes. You can still love them, but it doesn't mean you have to compromise yourself in order to prove that you're a strong and supportive family member. 
sometimes words of encouragement work just as well. Mm. And, you know, there's that saying, if they knew better, they'd do better. So Absolutely. That may be a case of that right there. So tell us another story. Was there another example of either a family member, either siblings or parents, or, or then we can go to partners? Yes. Siblings are really interesting. I found, especially with female siblings, there's a lot of competition going on. Um, it, it was interesting. I guess it's the people that present themselves in my office. Um, say, for instance, the siblings, they kind of try to outdo one another. One wants to be seen as the angel of the family while depreciating and putting down the other one. So when the other sibling is not doing so well, instead of stepping in and helping and trying to support that person, they become one of those people that taunts them as well. They embellish a lot of the negativity to, in order to make themselves look better. And, and I guess there's the betrayal right there because you just assume your sibling has your back. Exactly. I had one sibling um, tell parents during a Christmas dinner that the other sibling had an abortion, which was against their religious belief because she, um, for whatever reason, she felt threatened by the sister being there. The parents had really kind of taken a softer stance with working with this sibling. We'll say her name is Emily. Mm-hmm. Emily had always been in a lot of ish, you know trouble. So they found and felt that maybe she was turning her life around. Well, Annie decided to let them know during the Christmas dinner that Emily had had an abortion. Wow. And she told her sister that in confidence. She was the only person um, that Emily had told about the abortion. Hmm. So it was even more pronounced for her because she hadn't shared this with anyone else. She shared this as a hoping for it to be like a building block for her mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And instead it turned into something else. And that's what it is with betrayal. You know, we're never, we're never betrayed by people we don't know. It's always people closest to us. And the whole idea is here we are feeling, feeling safe. And in, in this case, it sounds like she's, she's trying to build a relationship and, and feel even more safe and, and more secure. And then she's just shocked, I guess, when her sister went ahead and, and told mm-hmm. Because they, you know, as young children, were very trusting, were very caring, and they had a good childhood relationship. They did. Mm. But as they progressed to adolescence, teenagers, young adults, they started to kind of drift apart. So she thought that by, you know, confiding in her was something so significant that it would bring them back together. And instead, it kind of tore them both apart. Because this is a happy occasion. Christmas dinner, she, her family was more receptive to her. And then this bombshell comes out. And how did you work with her to, to heal this? I work with her, with her sister, especially that she doesn't have to divulge something so personal in order to build a relationship. That was her sister. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about what she expected by telling her sister something so personal. She didn't even realize it was her attempt to build a relationship, to merge a relationship that she never had for some time. So she was hoping to get something out of it, too. Mm -hmm. So we discussed ways of building relationships, but that doesn't mean you have to tell someone something so personal, even a sister. Right. And I think we assume when it's about building relationships, you know, how do we get close to one another? It is by trusting them, I guess, to the point where we do feel more comfortable sharing things that we wouldn't share with just a random person we meet. Yeah, because we have more in stake with the person that we have a relationship with, like family, romantic. 
if someone else on the outside betrays us, it's really not that big of a deal because at the end of the day, part of us almost feels like we're expecting it because we don't hold them to the same standards as we do a family member or a romantic partner. Right. So you shared, uh, you know, about people coming in individually to work on something. Can you give an example of, let's say, a couple or or even siblings or something who came in together with the with the with I guess the intention or the hopes of understanding each other and coming to some resolution after a betrayal? Usually, with the large families I work with, they come in because mom and dad are fighting, and then you have the whole triangular situation where the kids are fighting. Mm-hmm. So the kids kind of take the strain off the marriage because the parents get an opportunity to focus on the kids rather than their relationships. Mm -hmm. So what I work with the family on is getting them to understand that the kids are mirroring their behavior. Like I had a brother and sister fighting almost in the same way as the married couple were. And the parents couldn't understand the connection. They were really hateful towards one another, saying things that were really spiteful. And the parents actually, during our session, asked, I don't even know where they get that from. Do you know where they get that from? Mm. So it was like, well, they're acting out the two of you because this is what they've learned. They've learned in order to convey pain and sadness to a family member, I'm going to hurt you so you can feel what I'm feeling. Right. You not, you know, and my thinking is, I want you to fight. And I encourage them sometimes to argue even about something trivial so they can get an idea of what it looks like and what their kids are getting from that. Now, the kids are arguing. What do you see when the kids are arguing? What does that look like for you? Did that not seem hateful? Mm. Wasn't that in response to his or her own pain? So getting them sometimes to look from the outside in gives them a better understanding of how to work from the inside out. Yeah. And did they see it once you pointed it out to them? Oh, yeah. It took them a while mm-hmm. because they assumed that was normal sibling arguments, normal si- sibling fi- fighting. But when they took a deeper look, no sibling says, I hate you. You're disgusting. And the types of wording that they use were the words that they heard from their parents. So they began to understand that it went deeper than their you know, couples arguments, it went into a family that started to take sides. You know, daughter sided with mother, the boy sided with the father, mm-hmm. and it began to have these these teams that would randomly attack each other whenever they weren't feeling the way that they felt that they should. Right. Wow. Okay. So tell us about a couple now. Tell us about a couple that came in after a betrayal experience. How did they come in? How did they leave? Well, they came in arguing and they came in what we call the stuck state. They kept fighting the same old fight, hoping for a different result. And every time they fought, they brought up the infidelity. Um, I had um, a husband who had a work wife. And we spoke about that. He didn't see the issue with having a work wife. He would say, oh, this is my wife, but this is my work wife. So what happened was they began to blur boundaries. And what took a toll was because he started telling the work wife intimate details of his actual wife. Like, oh, she's very, she doesn't cook, she doesn't clean, she doesn't support me when I try to engage in in different endeavors. And they started to build an emotional bond. Okay. Physical. Oh, so it did. Okay, I was going to say, because 
I, I can I can imagine it's it's aggravating and frustrating for the wife just even hearing the term work wife. But then so it did it did become emotional and, and physical. So what happened then? What happened then was the husband actually became more reliant on the work wife. And when they came in therapy, we spoke about we kind of turned the tables of the wife having a work husband. How would that feel for her sharing intimate details, not just the physical aspect of it, but she became emotionally attached to this individual? And how would that look in the realms of their marriage? So he began to recognize that he was highly dependent on this woman Mm -hmm. and he needed to distance himself in a way if he wanted to save his marriage. So what they what we worked on is doing something nice for the spouse, not saying it but to try and catch your wife or your husband doing something nice and doing a little checklist because it was a lot of things that they were doing for each other that they totally ignored. Like the wife would make sure that the coffee was ready in the morning because he needed coffee first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I want you to take stock of those things. I want you to see when your husband takes the initiative to take your clothes to the cleaners. I want you to take initiative when you say you're running late you know, this person steps in, makes dinner or picks you up from work. I want you to look at the things that have held you together, the things that have solidified in your relationship. Look at the little cards and notes that he would write you. Which is which is definitely wonderful. But did he ever take responsibility for yes, the affair? Because initially he didn't, but he did. When okay. we discussed what type of things that he would um, communicate with his work wife, he started saying that, He would talk about the sexy things he would like to act out Mm -hmm. that he could never share with his wife. So he realized by having those sexual, intimate conversations, he had crossed a line months ago. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just the sexual part. He had actually been stepped out of his marriage the minute he engaged in intimate conversation with this woman. Mm -hmm. So getting him to accept that this was almost a prepping thing that was going on because people just don't fall into bed. Mm-hmm. There are things that lead up to it that would should signal you to stop, kind of take a look at what's going on. But he chose to go forward with them. Just like giving her cards, he would uh, call her to check in on her and then he would ask her questions about her life. She's a beautiful woman. She needs to go out more. So it was a lot of things that he was doing that was compromising his marriage before he slept. Right. Probably all the things that, that his wife would have loved him to do with her. Absolutely. So, yeah. So then I would imagine the, the, the wife was so much more receptive to anything kind that the husband did after he took that responsibility. What's the timeline that you usually see in couples being able to repair? It can take like a year, especially if they're in what we call the lock. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, initially when I meet with a couple, I meet with them individually and I meet with them individually is because of course the old, his story, her story and the truth. Mm -hmm. And I try to get an idea of what they feel they need to work on in a relationship. When I saw them together, they were in this, this almost like a bull lock where they couldn't stop fighting. So with this couple, it took, like a year because initially the husband was missing sessions. So when you're dealing with couples and you're dealing with something as significant as infidelity, you need them both. Mm -hmm. That was his way of trying to isolate from the problem. 
So once he realized he needed to be committed and he needed to do the work 50-50, not 60-40 or 70-30, he became more committed and would show up at every session. But it took this particular family a year. Mm. And what would you suggest to somebody listening right now who's who's struggling? They may have just discovered their betrayal or maybe on the other side of it, the one who betrayed. What do you suggest? I would suggest that they try and reach out to an impartial professional sooner rather than later. Trying to resolve the problem when you're in the middle doesn't help because usually you can't see beyond your own pain or your own um, insecurities, sadness, or your own guilt. Mm -hmm. Typically, when people come into public therapy, it's at the point of brink, and most marriages won't survive at that point. What we work with them on then is trying to disentangle themselves in a way that doesn't hurt the other party, whether it's custodial, you know, a marital agreement, but you need to get it as soon as you start having negative feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And what would you, before we wrap up, anything uh, you'd like to make sure that everybody listening knows? Yes. Um, you can follow me on Psych Central. Um, the relationship corner where I give out advice regarding my relationship articles. It's free. The articles are completely interactive. And you could also see me on my own um, outlet, Love Lust Fantasies, where you can ask a lot of non-traditional relationship questions about such as sexual dysfunctions, you know, um, questions about sexuality, positioning, things that you can used to improve and add some spice to your relationship. Wonderful. Dr. Tara, I want to thank you so much for your time and all of your wisdom. I'm sure a lot of couples listening are really going to appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Tara for being on the show today, and I'll have all the links of where to keep in touch with her over at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. So here's my biggest takeaway. Sometimes we can feel betrayed because a rule has been violated, but it may actually be that we made an unrealistic expectation. Just because we behave a certain way doesn't mean the person on the other end behaves that same way. That's certainly not excusing anything, but it does get us thinking that it's never a good idea to assume others act the same way we do. There's a saying I love, if you knew better, you'd do better. Maybe it's easier realizing we're all doing the best we can from our current state of awareness and consciousness. If you're struggling with physical, mental, and emotional symptoms left in the wake of your betrayal, you may be struggling with post-betrayal syndrome. Be sure to take the quiz and see what needs your attention and healing. Just go to pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz and let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.